podcast. We are IPSE, the Independent Press Standards Organisation, the independent regulator of the majority of the UK's newspaper and magazine industry. These podcasts are for anyone who's interested in newspapers, journalism, the media, how it's regulated, and of course, IPSE's work. My name is Vicky and I'm your host as always. And today I'm joined by Sarah Khan, who is the lead commissioner at the Commission for Counter-Extremism. And Sarah recently delivered our annual IPSE lecture last week on the role of the media in challenging extremism. So welcome to the podcast, Sarah. If you could first off, just tell us a little bit about your role and what you're doing at the minute. Well, hi, and thank you for having me here. It's, it's, it's a great privilege. So the commission was launched uh, last year formally, when after the Prime Minister announced the creation of the commission in 2017, uh, after the terror attacks that we had in that year. And the role of the commission is to help everyone in our society do more to challenge extremism. And so we've been very busy. We're currently um, gathering evidence for a kind of a landmark study, really, trying to help us understand what is the current picture of extremism in our country and what more can we do effectively to counter it. So we're we're gathering evidence from a range of different sources. And this is a study that I will be presenting to the Home Secretary alongside a number of different recommendations, um, a future work programme and also what the long term structure and function of the commission will be. So, as I said, we're at the moment just in this in this phase of ga- gathering evidence to, to in the aim of publishing this study. And so we carried out the first ever consultation on extremism, where we had almost over 3,000 responses. We've commissioned almost 30 academics uh, from across the country who are writing substantially on different forms of extremism in our country. Um, and we're also uh, looking at government data. Uh, we're looking at information that we've received from the Charity Commission and other regulators as well to try and help us build a good understanding of what extremism is at the moment in our country and what more we need to do to counter it. Because, mm, I mean, certainly within Ipsos' work, looking at the reporting of newspapers, we see kind of lots of examples of what some people might consider to be extremism. And um, I think it's actually kind of a very challenging thing to explain and I'm interested in hearing about your experiences on kind of what you think that is and its kind of impact on kind of society more broadly. Yeah you're absolutely right journalists and the media have been writing about extremism for decades in this country and often there's a lot of discussion about what do we define as extremism and this is something we're looking at at the commission. We we published a terms of reference last year in September. We highlighted how you know the government does have a definition of extremism, uh, but so does the police. They have a definition for domestic extremism. But you know, regardless of the the extremism uh, debate, and there are some people who think you don't even need a definition of extremism, and there are others who think you do. Regardless of that debate, that's never stopped journalists from writing or reporting about extremism. And I think that's that's really important uh, to to recognise that. And so. From an impact perspective, I think it's I think a lot of people can see that impact. We often acknowledge that the, the, the harms of terrorism. I mean, just look over the last couple of months. We've seen what's happened in, uh, in the synagogue in, in Pittsburgh. More recently, the synagogue in San Diego just just a week ago. We saw what happened in Christchurch. We saw what happened in Sri Lanka. I mean, these are all examples of of terrorism. But we've seen how in every four of those cases, the, the killers had all been exp- ex- uh, inspired by or held extremist beliefs and ideology. So that shows you the, the drive and the impact that extremist beliefs can lead to. But at the same time, I think we also have to recognise that extremism and the impact of it is not just about terrorism. There's the harm to individuals, there's the harm to communities, there are harms to the local economy in, in towns and cities, there's the harm to our wider democracy. And so we've come across many examples of those harms where, for example, people from 
um, who are LGBTQ plus or people who hold from a particular religious background are targeted by extremists because of their sexuality or because of their religious beliefs or their race, for example. We've come across examples of how whole communities are demonized by a particular ideological group, a group who are subscribed to a particular ideological leaning. Um, and so, you know, kind of a narrative of anti-Semitism or a whole a narrative about Muslims, for example, stereotyping them, demonizing whole communities as well. But we've also come across examples of of distrust of our institutions. I mean, we see how extremists attack the media and the integrity and the veracity of the media, for example. We see how extremists breed distrust about our institutions and spreading disinformation where people don't understand what is what is real news and, and what is fake news. And so all of this is is you know, it creates a climate of extremism in our country, um, but it also helps to, I think, radicalise people further into extremism and it harms our country, it harms pluralism, it harms all the things we stand for and our institutions. So challenging it is, is really, really critical. Some people who are listening to this podcast would say that kind of the press feeds into people's extremist beliefs. Is that something that you, you agree with? I believe the press... A free and fearless press is, plays an incredibly important role in exposing extremism in our country. And there are many examples uh, that we've seen of that. I mean, we've seen how the, the press have exposed the finances behind Stephen Yaxley Lennon and, the, and the, or otherwise known as Tommy Robinson. We've seen how the press have reported on the activities of Islamist extremists in our country, for example, groups like Hizb-Tahrir. We've seen the press shine a light on the targeting of uh, female Jewish MPs in our country by hard left activists. I mean, the, the lists and examples go on and on and on, showing the fantastic and great journalism uh, that we're seeing that's shining a light on extremism in our country. So I think that's really, really critical. Um, but I think you raise a very important question about whether the press feeds into people's extremist beliefs. And I think the press has to be very mindful of this. You know, the Metropolitan um, Police's Assistant Commissioner, uh, Neil Basu, recently stated that um, the media have to be very careful about publishing uncensored diet propaganda or making the manifestos of crazed killers available for download. And I think he's right about that because that's exactly what terrorists want and we don't want to be dancing to their tune or doing what they want us to do. So I think we have to be very, very careful about that. So I, we, the press have an incredibly important role to play, but it also has to be very mindful um, that it's not reporting on journalism in a way that's demonising whole communities or is not careful with its words. Um, one of the big challenges that you pose in your lecture, if people haven't seen it, I would I'd definitely recommend going onto the Ipse website and having a look at that. Um, so one of the big challenges in your lecture was kind of the difficult balance, and I think you've kind of just alluded to it here, the balance between exposing the activities of extremists and their ideological beliefs, but kind of not playing into their hands. Um, I'm interested kind of to hear more about how you think that balance can and should be struck. You're absolutely right. And I think it is about the use of words. And as I mentioned in the in the lecture, um, words are a journalist's precision tool. It, they are so incredibly important. So, for example, when we're reporting about Islamist extremism, to make sure that we are distinguishing between uh, Islam, Islamist extremism and even Islamism and, and making that distinction between Islamist extremists and, and, and ordinary Muslims, for example, um, with extremism in particular, what you often find is that journalists have to describe an ecosystem where you have an individual who's being funded by a different organisation. And, you, you know, often you have to draw a web of alliances 
Um, and I think when you, journalists are describing this ecosystem of individuals and, and groups, um, it's important to use words with pinpoint accuracy when it comes to describing and explaining the actors in that story. Um, and so making sweeping statements, uh, lazy stereotypes or loose reporting. The fact of the matter is, if journalists engage um, in that, you know, often they can demonise and misrepresent entire communities or unwittingly contribute to xenophobia or play into the hands of extremists themselves. Um, and so high quality journalism and, and telling journalists to do what they do best and encouraging them to do what they do best is what we need to see in ensuring that we're reporting and exposing extremism, but doing it in a way that doesn't cause harm or a long-term harm um, of, of, of the impact of extremism in our country. So in your speech, you said you wanted to open a conversation about how to empower journalists to be emboldened to report more on extremism. Have you got any advice for kind of journalists working and reporting in this area? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's, there's two things here. There's firstly, as I highlighted in, in my lecture, the fact that I have, you know, I've been speaking to a number of different journalists over the years, over the last year, and the extreme in the journalists are being targeted by extremists. When journalists write about extremist groups, uh, the activities of extremists, I've heard numerous accounts of, of extremists targeting journalists, or even at a personal level, standing outside their homes, threatening them. I, I've, I've been quite shocked, actually, to hear journalists share with me stories where almost where they're whispering in my ear about the experiences that they are having because they are reporting on extremism. And it's very, very frightening. And it's, and it's that I'm very concerned, I think, about what the true scale of that is. So I think encouraging journalists to report on extremism is a challenge because if this is what's going to happen to you on a personal level, it might dissuade some people from wanting to report on journalism. So I, I do want to ensure that journalists feel supported to expose extremism because from my perspective it's really important that we do for the sake of our country for the sake of our society that we are uh, exposing extremists so em emboldening and, and empowering journalists to do this is really really critical as i mentioned before there are many excellent examples of reporting and i would say to journalists learn from the best of them there are incredible journalists that i've met over the years actually who've reported on journalism in that fierce and fearless way um, and so I think that's really important. I would advise journalists to investigate, challenge and, and refuse to take a message on face value. And this is really important because what I'm seeing now with extremist groups and individuals is, is that they provide a, a, a kind of a cover of an era of respectability. So I've seen both far right and Islamist groups, for example, say that they're a human rights organisation or that they're countering extremism. And in fact, they are an extremist organisation. So scratching the surface is really, really critical and making sure that you are genuinely carrying out that research, that investigation that is required to help you understand who, who you're interviewing and, and these groups that claim to be what they say they're claiming to be, is that actually true? Um, at the same time, you know, I understand that journalists have to work under tight deadlines and they need to be seen um, and to show that they're not taking sides. So I think as a journalist, just ask simple questions. You know, have you done your research into this person or that organisation's background? Have you challenged them robustly? Um, do you feel confident about who and what this person represents or what their agenda is? What's their background? Do they hold a consistent position over the last few years on, on, on their views and on their beliefs, how they acted in the past? And whether you are actually contextualising their views as well, um, I think a really important example here is 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 Anjum Chowdhury when he was burning poppies on Remembrance Sunday. I mean, he 
there was about 30 ALM El Mahajirun supporters who were there at that time. Um, but often I think the sometimes the way it comes out across in the press is actually a whole large swathe of Muslim communities were supportive of this when in fact they were horrified by it just as much as everybody else in this country. So I think contextualizing that is, is really, really critical. Um, I'd also advise not to give platforms to those who shout the loudest or who answer their phones first. That could be very tempting when you are working under a tight deadline because I think what we've discovered is that extremists do want to use the media to, to promote their activities. And so they will often be the first to call journalists and to, to reach out to them because media exposure for them is something that's really, really helpful for them. So don't give platforms to those who do shout the loudest. Um, I would also say report accurately. And just, as I mentioned earlier, do not implicate whole communities or conflate the actions of an individual, individual organisation with an entire community. Um, and I think finally, my, my, my final point of advice really would be just to be consistent I think often when we talk about far-right or Islamist extremists, we don't hold a consistent position around that with our wording and our reporting. And I would advise that that's really, really important that in our coverage, whether it's far-right or Islamist extremists or terrorists, uh, to be consistent in, in our coverage with both of those groups. I think for me, one of the things that really stayed with me from your lecture was kind of your your story. Was it the, Shrop, the Shropshire Star that you, you went Sunderland. to? The Sunderland Echo. Um, and kind of going up there and kind of learning about how they were doing that report. So you could tell us like a little bit more about that because I, I just found it really striking, you know, kind of how impressive their approach was to kind of doing that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I spoke to Gavin Foster, who's the managing director of the Sunderland Echo. And... It, you know, the fact that he was seeing the, this kind of rise of far activism in, in, in Sunderland and the process that he went through with his team of how best do we cover this, you know, whether both online and print, is it different the way we report it online? Um, what's going to be the impact on community cohesion in that, in that area if we do report on it? What should be our tone? What should be our messaging? He'd thought of all of those things. And I think that thought process that he went through and the discussions that he had with his team, he took it as a very personal responsibility on his part as a journalist to ensure that not only is he accurately reporting on the story, but he's doing it in a way that he's ensuring that he, the, the ramifications of his reporting is going to be helpful um, to that, to Sunderland and to the people living in Sunderland, where there are extremist groups and act, act, activists who are trying to undermine cohesion and, and the, the well-being of, of, of that city. So that thought process was really, really important. But I have to say also, I was just so impressed with how a local paper had taken that approach. I mean, we know local papers are under threat. Um, and it just shows to me also the value of, of local papers and how we need to be doing more to support them as well. Well, I would definitely recommend people that if you have not seen Sarah Khan's lecture, that you go and watch it on the Ipsay website where it kind of expanding a lot more on these kind of themes. And Sarah, thank you so much for joining us thank on the Ipsay podcast and we hope you enjoyed it and we'll see you again soon.